Some songs just speak to your soul, don't they? Johnny Paycheck. Okay. That, that, that's when country was still country, but that's another message for another time. So, uh, hey, you ever sit down with somebody and get to know somebody for the first time and you kind of go through the rigmarole of trying to figure out who they are and what their life is about, and they finally say this, this magic question. So what do you do, right? What do you do? As in like for a, a living, right? You know, because somehow this identifies who you are, where you fit, where you stack up with everybody else, Right? And sometimes if you're not careful, we let our occupation define who we are more than it should, right? We let our occupation begin to help us think about how much we're valued, how much we're worth. Sometimes we think about our occupation and it really begins to be the thing that drives our entire schedule, our entire routine, our entire life. And it's funny because... Or, Ironic, I should say, because I was just doing a little bit of Google research, you know, and trying to figure out, well, how many times does the average person change jobs? And most articles said pretty well about 12 times in their lifetime. The average person only stays at their job for about five years, right? And they say that most of those changes come between 18 and 42, now, in a room like this, uh, we come from all sorts of backgrounds. And some of us would even say, well, yeah, I, I even have a college degree and I don't do what I went to school for, right? I mean, we, we realize more and more today, and in this generation, is much more entrepreneurial, much more free-spirited. Uh, that's code for saying they're really not sure who they want to be when they grow up. And they decide in process, right? And that's okay. Because your job is really, in some ways about a means to an end. It doesn't define everything that you are. And one of the things that we want to begin to do is maybe even shift our view of ourselves from our occupation and begin to even think about it from a vocational sense. When we talk about occupation, we talk about the skills that you have, the things that you do, the things that you produce to get wages or rewards, right? That's how you get paid. But your vocation takes not only your gifts, your talents, but also your passions and then begins to leverage them in the benefit of the world that we're a part of. So whether you're a plumber, whether you're an airplane pilot, whether you're a coach, whether you're a teacher, whether you're whatever you are, when you begin to recognize that what you've been given as far as skills and talents and abilities and you leverage them in a way that it benefits those around you in the world that you're a part of, you have a greater sense of purpose and understanding. So let me ask you this second question. So what are you working for? What is it that motivates you? I think we all would say at the end of the day we want to get rewarded, right? We like to get paid, right? Nobody's really signing up for free, right? Right? We're all trying to get compensated in some way. But what is your motivation? When you look around and you think about what you do, why do you do what you do? Why is that the place that you've decided to settle in, live your life out, and invest who you are? Now, some of you in this room uh, have probably yet to really get a career, but maybe you work uh, some sort of job. Maybe you're, you're at a point in your life, you're young enough that you kind of do this, you kind of do that. This message is not beyond you, Okay. Even if you're in high school or junior high and you do a little of this on the weekend or that on the weekend and make a little, just understand that this message will apply to you. And if you've retired, 
this message will apply to you as well. It will. Truth of the matter is, when we begin to look at all of this, we begin to understand uh, this lens that we've been looking at as we've looked at the best blank ever, that when we begin to look at our best job ever, there are some very practical and yet profound implications that we need to look at. But can I be straight with you? The Bible doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about your job as much as it does your person, your character, who you are. So whether you're going to be the next president of the United States or you're just trying to figure out if you can get hired at the vet clinic to be the next pooper scooper, you and I have something in common today. Our life, our skills, our talents can have purpose when we look at it from a perspective that all that we are and all that we have is ultimately from God. Now, to start off with some wisdom today, I actually want to jump to the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been going through the book of Proverbs, grabbing different morsels, trying to apply them in different ways to our lives. And there are multiple books of wisdom in Scripture. But this last summer, we looked at the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon is connected to both of these books. But Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 3, starting in verse 9, he says this about work. What you do, uh, what, excuse me, what, what do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one, meaning no human, can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good, meaning work, while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of their toil or labor or work. This is a gift from God. Some of you need to see that again. A gift from God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. But God does it so that people will, what's that word? Fear him. Remember where we started in Proverbs, this best blank ever? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. What's being written here is, you know, we understand that God is much bigger than we are. That he expands not only in time and space, but his work has proceeded well before us and will continue well after us. Yet God has placed in our hearts the understanding that there is a forever, there is an eternity. And God has given us this moment and this time of our lives to be able to leverage it in such a way that we give it back to God, including the work that we do or the life that we live. And God does that. Not so that we would be afraid of him, that kind of fear, but that we would honor, revere, and respect God through the life, through the work that we're a part of. In some ways, this may seem backwards as we read this passage because it seems uh, when you stand back and you look at God's work, our work pales in comparison to God's work, right? None of you hung a star recently, right? Gave anything breath, right? And yet God invites us in the work that we're a part of to share into this. And when we begin to realize that God is the one who ultimately has been at work and we are sharing in that work, it gives us a much clearer perspective about who we are, where we fit, and the privilege we have to live the life, to do the work, to have the job, 
to live the vocation that we do. But our work has a shelf life. We will all come and we will all go. But God's work endures forever. And in some ways, maybe that will depress some of us. But it should really encourage us. The privilege to have this moment in time, to do what we do, to be who we are, is such a great gift. Now, I'm not... I'm not sure where you're coming from or what background you have or what job you've been a part of, you know. But there are jobs in every shape, size, and color that we can jump in and be a part of. But here's what I think we need to grasp out of today, okay? Here's our big idea. With God as our boss, our work has purpose. Okay, would you say that with me again? With God as our boss, our work has purpose. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute, because some of you in this room, you are a boss, right? You may be even a business owner. You are the big enchilada, right? You are the one in charge, but we all know we answer to somebody, right? So no matter where you are or seem to be in the pecking order, we all answer to God. I mean, that would be our perspective as a church, so that what we do and what we're a part of and how we live our life, we're accountable ultimately to God. Now, if we step back, though, and we think about how we live our faith and how our work comes together, there's something that's kind of intriguing that happens, uh, I, I think, decade after decade in some ways. And it's something that happens within the local church that oftentimes Christians pull back. We look at worship as something that we do for an hour or when we go and start our morning, we set our clock, we read scripture for a certain amount of time, we pray for a certain time, and then the alarm goes off and then we, we're done, right? We've done our faith, we've done our good deed, we've prepared our day for God, and then we just kind of jump out and we live our life. And unfortunately, oftentimes, many well-intended Christians, what we do is we isolate and even insulate ourselves from the world and remove our faith from the workplace. Now, you know me well enough. This is not a message that's going to empower hundreds of people to be Bible thumpers in the community that we're a part of. That's not what we're calling everybody to today. But what if the perspective we had began to shift? I mean, we use this phrase all the time that worship is... A lifestyle. It's the way that we live our life. That our pursuit of honoring God in everything that we are and all that we have is a 24-7, 365 experience. It's not just in the hour and five minutes that we lovely people will have a chance to get together. But worship is how we live. And so when we think about worship and the workplace going hand in hand, it gives us a completely different perspective about the implications and how God may be empowering us, even challenging us to live our faith in public. So whether you're a white-collar worker, a blue-collar worker, a no-collar worker, whether you're a, a child rearer, whether you're an entrepreneur, educator, healthcare provider, pastor, uh, the guy who helped Sean McVay stay away from the sideline at a football game, if you, you know what I'm saying? God wants you to have the best work ever because your life matters. There's a quote that I want to share with you in just a moment by, by a man by the name of Dietrich, bon, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a Christian martyr who actually lost his life to the hands of the Nazi regime because he stood against the way that he used Christianity as a weapon of German nationalism to justify the killing of Jews. 
He saw a disconnect between the Jesus of Scripture and the way they were living it out. They imprisoned him, and before they did, he wrote this book called Life Together. And one of the big points was that life together as Christians is not limited to our time together in worship and in prayer. In other words, our work also matters, has value in how we live out our faith. He says it like this. Prayer is entitled to its time, but the bulk of our day belongs to work. Without the burden and the labor of the day, prayer is not prayer. And without prayer, work is not work. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is implying the reality that once you say amen, your prayer has just begun. Because asking and living go together in the conversation of faith between man and God. And so what if, what if you fix toilets all day, mop floors all day, care for a couple of rugrats that drive you crazy all day? What if we begin to see these moments as the God-given opportunities and moments that the vocation that you have, the skills, the talents, the passion that you have were given to you so that you might make a difference where you live, work, and play? Now, truth of the matter is Christians have been living out this concept for more than just the time that we've been at church. And it would have been enough for Dietrich Bonhoeffer just to say, to pat his mind maybe with some Christian knowledge, maybe a, a nice Christian quip here or there, or a nice little coffee mug that reminds him that God is good all the time or whatever it is, you know. But he lived it out, even into persecution, taking the very life that he lived, recognizing that every moment has the potential to be lived out for God's glory and for the benefit of others. So what we do in worship isn't just about the quiet places of our lives or the moments of prayer or the songs that we sing, but in others, in other ways, it's very much about how we work when we work. So let me begin this way. Let me ask this question. How can we have the best work ever? Well, like I said before, the scripture doesn't do a whole lot about teaching about jobs in the workplace, even though it does. It does speak openly about the marketplace. But when it does, especially in Proverbs, it speaks more about the person of who we are. So I'm going to give you three areas today in your life that any one of us can apply. Three areas of your life that I think speak very pragmatically to living a life that says God is my boss and therefore there is purpose and what I do. First of all, I want to talk about the first area. It's our mouth. It's our mouth. And I want to encourage us all to speak life. Now, some of us are already giggling. Uh, some of us live in a workplace that's really fueled by gossip. Drama would be the understatement of the day, right? People talk about, people talk uh, th through things, they, they're passive aggressive, and I don't even mean just at work. Thank goodness we have social media where employees can hint to how bad bosses are and bosses can infer how bad employees are, right? Can I get an amen? Yeah. Proverbs 12 says this, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. 
A kind word cheers it up. You know, the reality is this. If, if it's true that 80% of our community, of our county, of our region, has no connection to the local church, meaning they say they, they may believe in God or believe in something, but they have no specific connection to a body, to a family of faith, do you realize that your workplace may be the only place that they're regularly rubbing up against the person of Jesus on a regular basis. I probably want to change that phrase next time, okay? We're coming into contact with God on a regular basis in our workplace. So the way that you speak, the way that you talk to one another, the way that you talk about life will either give life or it could take it away. And some of you have experienced what that's like. When just by being a person who, who responds the way Jesus would, you stop what you're doing, you ask a second or third question about someone who's hurting, you listen to their conversation, and it's not your chance to, to tee one off, you know, and give them some wisdom, right, you know? It's not your chance to correct everything that they've done wrong, but to be able to speak into their life, to give them life. We, We've seen people from workplaces come to church here because people have spoken to them in a way that's different. You know, oftentimes I feel like we live in a world devoid of integrity. People cheating on time clocks, folks dusting off their workplace infractions under the, the rug of taking responsibility for their messes. Imagine a workplace with even one person who does this. Proverbs 12, 22 says this. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in the people who are trustworthy. I like working with people who are trustworthy, don't you? I've worked an assortment of jobs all my life. You know, I did the babysitting thing in junior high and high school. I was a pooper scooper for a veterinary clinic in high school. I uh, worked at a tuxedo shop. I've had the privilege of working fast food, both uh, at Burger King and Pizza Hut. I mean, I've smelled like everything under the sun over the days. You know what I'm saying? I've had the privilege to work a grain elevator. I've had the privilege to carry chickens. I know what it's like to walk beans. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, trustworthy people are hard to find. Because I know even in my growing in my own faith as a kid, I was the guy who liked to snack at the food station, right? I was the guy who went back to watch TV a little bit when I was supposed to be. I've been that guy. But our words, the way we speak, what Proverbs is calling us to be is to be a people who do what they say and say what they mean. To be the kind of people that speak directly, honestly, and I'm not going to tell you that it's going to be easy because the reality is we don't live in a world that naturally embraces transparency or honesty. But can I caution you people? We need to caution all of ourselves on this. When it comes to speaking life, some of us have in the back of our mind a list of names that we'd like to write down and all the things of truth that we'd like to say to them. That's not what this passage is about. God has not somehow just commissioned you to expose the heresy in your, in your life, right? God has said, as far as it is with you, 
Be this kind of employee. Be this kind of boss. Be this kind of coworker because there's a world that needs to see that kind of service and leadership. The second part, it's a little bit harder to nail down because it's much more subjective, but it's our heart. And I want to encourage every one of us to check our motives a bit. Can we, (laughs) this probably identifies with you, and I'm a boss now, but I still try and impress my bosses. I would call them the elders here. I work very hard, and I want them to be proud of the ministry that we're a part of as a church. But if we were transparent, we would all probably admit that from time to time, we all try and impress our bosses. Now, that's not detestable. But if we were to examine our own hearts, sometimes it's disingenuous, isn't it? You ever have your boss walk in and maybe, maybe when you see her or see him, all of a sudden you pick up the pace a little bit. Maybe you come alongside, maybe you straighten things up, maybe you go above and beyond and do things that you wouldn't normally do when they're not in the room. Yeah. For many of us, when we look at our job, of course we're trying to draw a paycheck. Others of us, we're trying to prove ourselves because we're, we're trying to advance our career. We're trying to get ahead. Sometimes in seasons of, of conflict, we even find ourselves accidentally working against others instead of really being for people. And so what we're talking about really ultimately is integrity. Are you who you are when nobody's around the same person when your boss is around? Do you work as hard when the boss is in the room than when they're not next to you? Because the reality is, if God is our boss, we should always be on our best behavior. We should always give of our best labor. Proverbs 10.9 says this, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found and that's, that, that's a message in and of itself. But if your integrity is sound, if you live as a person that is, they do what they say, they say what they mean, they give their best in every circumstance, you can stand with confidence in the role that you play. You don't have to look over your shoulder. You don't have to wait for a compliment for your boss. You don't have to stand for the approval of your friends because before God, you know, I have done what I'm called to do. I have done the best with what I've got and I am living this out for God's credit. Not for mine, but for God's. And I can't guarantee how this works out in your life. And I can't guarantee that just because you live this way that everything's going to be peachy keen in your job. But I love what Proverbs 12, 22, excuse me, verse 11 says this. One who loves a pure heart and speaks with grace will have a king for a friend. So, so what this proverb is trying to allude to is if you come from a pure heart, pure heart and you speak with grace, those and even the highest of authority could be impacted, would recognize the kind of leadership, the kind of service, the kind of worker that you are. And so, you know, if we were, if we were to summarize some of this, maybe we'd say, we, we just all need to be the employee that we'd want to hire. But that's trite, isn't it? What, what maybe we're talking about is, let's, let's go beyond being an example and start being the sample 
of good work. You know, like you walk through Sam's and they have these samples out. You get to taste and try and see if you even want to invest in that. What if you literally looked at your workplace? What if you looked at your job, your vocation as, if God is my boss and I have the opportunity to leverage my life to the people around us, whether I'm a stay-at-home parent, whether I'm uh, the manager of a job, of, of a workforce, whether I'm the owner of something, whether I serve in the military, that we would recognize that ultimately, when it comes to authority, we're ultimately serving God and we're ultimately doing it for the betterment of those around us. A great example of this shift of change and being able to gain the merit of a king comes from ESPN. Now, I, I don't watch many shows, but I love ESPN. I'll just say it. And recently, as, as recent as January 17th, a little over a week ago, an article was written about Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is a man who, uh, of course, played for the Cleveland Cavaliers for a while. Of course, won championship with LeBron James. And then LeBron left. And, of course, he had left. And Le uh, Kyrie had left because he wanted to kind of have his own way, have his own niche. And you know what? He now plays for the Boston Celtics. And they have all sorts of talent. They should be leading and dominating the East. And they're struggling. Now, some of you are going, I don't really care about the NBA. I, I don't really either. I'm a Lakers fan, so there's not a whole lot to care about right now other than LeBron lives in L.A. But the truth of the matter is that this article was about Kyrie Irving recognizing that he had an attitude problem when he played for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, get this. An extremely talented guard making millions of dollars traded to a team that's going to lead and potentially win the East comes to a crisis in his workplace where chemistry is not happening. Winning is difficult. And they're looking at each other and they can't figure it out. And Kyrie realizes part of the problem is it's attitude. And he recognizes something about himself. The entire article, a couple pages to be honest, is how Kyrie Irving decided to pick up the phone to call LeBron James and to apologize. And his statement was this. I was a young guy, basically, who just wanted the ball. And I didn't understand what it took to win. And I didn't understand what he was trying to teach. And it takes a bigger man to be able to pick up the phone to admit that I'm wrong. But he sees himself in a crisis. They should be winning and they're not. I've been in that experience. Over 15 years ago, I was uh, serving uh, on the west side of an in Indianapolis. We were in a fast-growing church. Promotions were happening everywhere. And then one day came that I got a new boss, a boss who was two days younger than me and was a peer of mine. I helped get him hired. All of a sudden, one day, I find out that he's going to be my boss. And I took it poorly began to work with him, and it began to challenge him, confront him, question everything. I was, I was difficult. And I thought what I was doing was helping him see the struggle I'd been, help him understand the workforce I was a part of, understand the role that I was carrying at that time. And the reality was, after I left, and I went to go plant a church, and I was in a little different authority, and I had to build it from scratch, I began to realize there are flaws in my leadership. And so I went back one day to that church, and I sat down in front of Kent. And Kent's a good friend of mine now. And I said, Kent, I need to apologize. I was a bad 
coworker. I said, you were just leading in the way you were supposed to. You did the best with what you thought you should do. And I didn't see it. And you know what he said? Darn right you didn't. No, he didn't say that. He <laughs> says, it's okay, we all grow. Man, he was a good boss. He's a good man. And honestly, I think that this is where many of us begin to struggle is if our mouth doesn't get us in trouble, our heart will. And it ultimately impacts the third area of our lives, which is really just the very pragmatic portion of it all. It's our hands. It's what we do matters. It impacts our performance. Proverbs 14, 23 says it this way. All hard work brings profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. You know, it's hard to love work if you don't love working hard. And we're missing it in our world often these days. A work ethic is hard to find. I'm privileged to work with people, both volunteers and paid at this church, that serve faithfully and they give of their best. But I know not every workplace is like that. I know it's difficult to sometimes set a pace when everybody else only sets half a pace. But if the world is not getting a chance to see Jesus on a regular basis through the sense of people, your work becomes even more precious. Your words become even more precious. Your motives become even more precious. Because what they're looking at, what they're seeing, is the reality of God. God's character, God's will, and God's ways being lived out in who you are. But a work ethic isn't lost so much today just simply out of laziness. It's really out of selfishness. That too many people are trying to get theirs and not worry about those around them. So if you claim to follow God, if you claim to follow the, the God of truth and grace and life, but the fruit of your work speaks of laziness or inconsistency or shallowness, both you and everyone around you is missing out on the true gift of God. In other words, if we're lazy, we rob ourselves and we rob the world of what God might be doing in our midst. And one of the best places to expose that character is in hard work. Now flash forward with me quickly as we uh, think about where Paul is as he's speaking to a young church. He begins to speak to this church that's reaching all people from all different backgrounds, all different ethnicities. And here's what it says in Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as if working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ, it's Jesus that you are serving. Now we get to pull a paycheck, whether it's twice a month or every two weeks or at the end of the week or the end of the day, whatever. We get paid on a regular basis and we kind of come with an expectation with that. But it's interesting because Paul is describing to a church that is now reaching every tribe, tongue, and nation, that is reaching every socioeconomic class, 
he even begins to speak that everyone has place in this family we call the local church. And he's speaking to those who have masters. This is not the word for bosses. But let's also understand that this, we don't want to confuse this with the history of American slavery. But there was the reality that in Bible times, there were people sold into slavery. There were even people who gave their lives into slavery because maybe they had a debt they couldn't pay or a life they couldn't provide. And Paul is speaking to what could be considered the bottom of the economic class. And he's saying, even in these difficult times, in these hardships where you don't seem like you can provide the value of your life or your worth or whatever it may be, understand you have great value. That your character, your attitude, every single breath from your life in your work echoes up. Not only to God, but to those who oversee you and to those who work along beside you. So maybe we need to realize that. Whether we move boxes all day, whether we push a cart, whether we stack a shelf, whether we feed cattle or hogs, grow corn or wheat, that when we start our day, before we unlock that door, everything that we do begins as an act of worship, appreciation back to God and for the benefit of the world around us. Let's move to our time of response. There's a, there's a piece of Christian literature that has been around since the 1700s that is considered a classic. It's a, we, we get Christian books these days, and oftentimes they're written by pastors or theologians of great fame, but this this man's name is Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence writes a book, The Practice of the Presence of God. You can actually look it up on Google. There's a PDF of it. You can read it. But it's from the 1700s. And he's a man who leveraged his entire life back into God. And his occupation was primarily a dishwasher. Hold on to that for a moment. A Christian classic book that practices the presence of God is written by a theologian, a megachurch pastor, a dishwasher. And in his notes, he writes this comment about his friend, Joseph Buford. And I'm gonna read this quote to you because I think it's profound. He said that, our sanctification, which is a, a really fancy word that talks about, means God's taking the old and he's making it new. It's God's work within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. This sanctification does not depend on, excuse me, does not depend as much on changing our activities as it does on doing them for God rather than ourselves. Think about that. Practicing the presence of God isn't about changing our, our activities. But when you go to replace that toilet, when you go to fix that outlet cover, when you go to teach that class, 
or to hand out that cafeteria lunch. When you pull out your stethoscope, when you recruit somebody for a new job, these are the moments that we can best practice the presence of God for his glory, for the benefit of the world around us. A life of surrender, not for our glory, but for God's. What if? It's not so much about what we do or even why we do what we do, but who we do it for. What if we were the people who lived every moment of our lives, including our jobs, as the recognition that God's already been at work, will continue to be at work in our place, whether adding the tomato sauce to our pizza, whether it's doing inventory at the end of the year, that our place and our work has the purpose to speak of an eternity where God is at work. Let's pray. God, I know today there are people in this room that frankly, as soon as I started this message, their teeth began to grind because they have a boss they cannot stand. They have a coworker that annoys the fool out of them. Or they're in a job that frankly they just don't like and they're not sure about whether to go back to school, whether to take the risk and step out, should they start their own job. God, in the same, same breath, there are, there are people who are bosses in this room. And while they, they're, they're accomplishing their dream, the reality is they hate it. They hate the drama that comes with being in charge. They, they hate the frustration that comes with people. They hate the, the feelings of, of jealousy and rage that happen to people that, that we try and call friends. And so God, when they step into this world and we say something like, hey, maybe you should add a little Jesus in that moment, it feels a bit trite. God, we think about the person of Jesus. We think about God in flesh. We think about you. How you walked among us. How you spoke with both grace and truth. How the very occupation of your life, the very vocation of your life was to serve and not be served. To serve and give your life as a ransom for many through all that persecution, through the punishment, through the pain, through the struggle, through the strain. God, what you did in that moment of giving yourself, of dying on a cross, it paid our price. It gave us the forgiveness of sin. It gave us life everlasting. And so, yeah, God, we confess that it feels trite. But we also know that it's right. Frankly, we're scared to live a life of surrender that looks like that. God, would you make us vulnerable leaders and servants again? Would you make us humble and bend our knees? Would you extend our hands so that we would reach out to those who are hurting and oppressed? Would you open our eyes to the needs and the wounds around us? Would you calm our tongue when we should not speak and open our ears? And would you loosen our tongue when we can speak life and encouragement. 
God, I just sense that you're at work. I sense that you're breaking up hearts. So God, with a deep breath, we breathe in you, your spirit. May you empower us to serve with great confidence and even boldness where needed. Would you call us to serve with great perseverance and endurance? And may the world miss us in the process and only see you and the benefit of you in this world. God, not for our glory, but yours. Not simply for our benefit, but for theirs. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Now, if you're new with us, you don't probably know what we're about to do, but we're about to sing a song and we're going to begin to move to these stations. And in the front, there will be opportunities for prayer and there are benches up here and people will come and they will pray as a song begins at their leisure when they're ready. Several will go to these six tables that are around the room, two in the front, two in the back, two to the side. And we encourage you to go to the one closest to you. And it's a reminder of a a meal that we take when Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. There's bread. This is the blood poured out for you. And there's juice. And for those of us that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we eat that bread, we drink that juice as a testament to consuming the will and the way of Jesus for our lives. And then we'll respond through the give and respond boxes. Some of us will place our connection cards in there because we've signed up for something or some of us have a prayer request or whatever it may be. Some of us will give of our monies. And some of us will use that give app. Isn't it ironic that even in the paycheck that we receive, we're reminded All that we have and all that we are is God's. And we have a chance to be faithful, even there. Let's stand, let's sing, and when you're ready, begin to respond in the room, in the stations where God leads you.